Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Just because someone has a responsibility doesn't necessarily mean that he is ready to fulfill it. A young man has a job, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's ready to perform his obligation at that job. A student could have an assignment and yet not exactly be prepared to perform all that the teacher has required. A young lady could have a debt and not be prepared to pay. In a similar fashion, believers have responsibilities, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all believers are ready to discharge all of the obligations that God has given to them. For example, We all have a responsibility to see to it that the gospel of Jesus Christ is spread, beginning with us, out into our community, and beyond that, to the end of the world. But just because we have that responsibility doesn't mean at all that we are ready to do it. Matter of fact, many believers are embarrassed to talk about Jesus Christ. So, let me ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to fulfill your responsibility? Say, uh, your responsibility to uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. I suspect if we were going to be honest with ourselves, many of us would have to say, well, no, not exactly. I'm not really ready right now. So let me ask another question. What would it take to get you ready? An extensive theological education? Uh, I'm not sure that that in and of itself would do it. I know many lay Christians feel an inadequacy when it comes to dealing with spiritual matters because they feel like they're things they don't know. But I assure you, just because you went and got a, an extensive theological education, that doesn't necessarily mean that you would be any more ready to fulfill this responsibility than you were before you started. I know several men, many, there are thousands, who have uh, degrees upon degrees of theological education, but like the Arctic River, they are still frozen at the mouth when it comes to the subject of evangelism. Or would just a simple training course do? And again, the answer is that multiplied thousands and by this time millions of evangelicals in the world have gone through uh, training courses concentrating on how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet the simple reality is many of them, perhaps most of them, are still not really ready to do it. So let me ask again, are you ready? And what would it take to get you ready? I know of one statement in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says, I'm ready. You're familiar with that statement. It's in Romans chapter 1. My question today is, how did he get there? What made him ready? 
being a student of the scriptures, I'm tempted to ask, what's the context of that statement? What provoked him to say that? Are there any clues in that passage that would alert us as to why Paul was ready and therefore could help us be prepared to do what God has told us to do? To answer those questions, I invite your attention to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 8. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now as I have mentioned on other occasions, as we have commenced the study of an epistle in the New Testament... Uh, an ancient letter consisted of some standard parts. They always began with a salutation, which identified the author, the recipients, and gave a greeting. Then, after that salutation, there was a prayer or a thanksgiving. Usually the thanksgiving came first, and then there was the prayer. After those two items, there followed the body of the book, and it ended with personal greetings and a salutation. Now, the book of Romans is obviously much more than just a letter. It is a theological treatise, but it is in the form of an ancient letter, in that it begins like an ancient letter and it ends like an ancient letter. In the opening verses, we are given a salutation. In this case, Paul chooses to elaborate on some items in that salutation. And so this salutation, unlike many of his others, extends for seven verses. Then, beginning in verse 8, as was customary, there follows the thanksgiving and the prayer. So as we come to Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 17, in a sense, this is the thanksgiving and the prayer that you would normally expect in an ancient letter. But now, in this particular case, Paul is saying some things concerning the gospel. He's saying some things concerning ministry in this thanksgiving and prayer that I think are 
very instructive to all of us, especially when it comes down to being ready to minister to other people. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at these verses in a bit of detail. And they fall very naturally into two parts. First, he thanks God for them, and then he prays for them. The thanksgiving is just in verse 8. The prayer begins in verse 9 and, frankly, goes all the way through verse 17, though obviously he trails off into other things. So with that in mind, let's begin looking at this passage. He says in verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Very simply, Paul thanked God that their faith was now known throughout the whole ancient world. Uh, let's talk about that for a bit. Uh, who led these people to Christ? Who brought them to faith? It was not the Apostle Paul. Uh, he obviously hadn't yet been to Rome. There are several answers that are generally given to that question. One answer is that the people, some of the people who were converted on the day of Pentecost were from the city of Rome, which by the way is true if you look at Acts chapter 2, and that after Pentecost, when 3,000 people trusted Christ, some of those converts went back to Rome and established churches. That's one possibility. A second possibility is that the Apostle Paul had led a number of people to Christ throughout Macedonia and Greece, and that in the natural course of events, some of those converts ended up at Rome, and they established the church at Rome. To support that view is the fact that when you get to Romans chapter 16, Paul mentions 26 people that he could call by name. Now imagine having never been to this church, and yet he could personally name 26 people in it. So perhaps this church was founded by Paul's converts from other cities. Uh, there is a tradition that Peter started the church, but there is no data to really substantiate that theory. In the final analysis, the truth is, we do not know who started this church or how these people came to faith in Jesus Christ. But obviously, they had trusted the Lord. So, Paul hears about that, and he writes them a letter. And he says in verse 8, the first thing I want you to know is that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I've heard about your faith and that it has become known throughout the whole world. Now just think about that for a moment. Could you name some famous churches? What are they famous for? Can you name churches that are well-known? Why are they well-known? Well, very often a church is known because of uh, something like uh, its large auditorium or the size or cost of its building or organ or chandelier 
or their pastor. Many churches become known because they have a famous pastor or a series of famous pastors. Well, Paul doesn't say you became known all over the world because you have this gorgeous building or eloquent pastor, but because you people of all people have exercised faith and that fact has become known throughout the ancient world. Now keep in mind that though Paul knew some of the people in this congregation, he had never been there and he had never met most of them. Nevertheless, he says in verse 8, I thank my God when I hear that uh, so many people have trusted in Jesus Christ. I think that's really rather remarkable. <laughs> I think for some Christians it's tough enough to thank God that a friend came to Christ. Uh, or some relative that you might not particularly like. Would you do that? Would you hear that somebody else trusted Christ and get excited about it or grateful about it? Would you just naturally and spontaneously say, I thank God so many have turned to Christ in the city of Rome? Remember a few years ago, in fact, it's been quite a few years ago now, uh, something got started in this country called the Jesus Movement. Do you remember that? And a large number of young people came to trust in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I was an evangelist at the time, and I distinctly remember how it affected the evangelistic meetings that I conducted. Uh, people stumbled into those meetings that would never have darkened the door of the kinds of churches I was speaking in. Long-haired hippie types, pill poppers, bearded wonders, and they got saved. And some Christians became very, very skeptical. They even questioned whether or not these people were truly converted to Jesus Christ. And there were other Christians who got excited and thankful and grateful and said, thank God he's working and people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Obviously, they need to be taught, but thank God they've trusted in Jesus Christ. All right, that's the first thing that happens in this passage. Paul hears about what's going on at Rome, and he says, the first thing I want you to know is I dropped to my knees and I thanked God that you have had faith and that has been spread abroad in the world. The second thing he does in this passage is he prays for them. He says in verse 9, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers now in a sense this is the second part of this passage the first being the thanksgiving in verse 8 and the second being the prayer in verse 9 but uh, if you will notice verse 9 begins with the little word for and if you will recall, I constantly point out that when you bump into the word for at the beginning of a sentence, it is giving an explanation or a reason for what has just been said. So while this is the second part, and we're going off in another direction in one sense, in another sense, this is an explanation for what has just been said. Some commentators suggest that he has made a statement that might be questioned by some in verse 8. Namely, that he thanked God for their faith that was known throughout the whole world. So he calls God to witness and says in verse 9, For, I'm explaining, for God 
is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I not only thank God for you, but I pray for you. Now there are things in verse uh, 9 that might disturb the careful observer of the text. For example, he says that without ceasing I make mention of you in my prayers. You mean to tell me you're standing up there saying you walked around praying for the Roman Christians all day? Without ceasing? Well, the little phrase, in my prayers, indicates that he's talking about his prayer time. He is not saying in this verse, from the moment I get up in the morning till the moment I go to bed at night, I am constantly praying for you Roman Christians. He is saying, without ceasing, when I have my prayer time, I pray for you. In other words, Paul had a prayer list. And every time he met in his prayer time and went down his prayer list, he prayed for the believers at Rome. You might also notice that he says in verse 9, I, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. He considered this prayer for them part of his service. It was service in his spirit, meaning internally. Uh, there was the external service that he rendered in things like preaching. But his prayer time was his internal service to God. And in that time, in that kind of service, he prayed for the Roman believers. Now, what did he ask for? Well, frankly, he doesn't tell us. Based on some of the other prayers of the Apostle Paul and some of his other epistles, I would suggest that he prayed for uh, their faith, their love, their hope. He prayed that they might know the will of God. He prayed that they might experience the power of God. He prayed that they might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they might be enlightened concerning spiritual things. But whatever he prayed for, he consistently prayed for the believers at Rome. But he not only prayed for them, he prayed for himself. Look at verse 10. Making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, all of a sudden, Paul is saying, I thank God for you. I pray for you. And then all of a sudden, uh, he says, and yes, and while I pray for you, I am praying for me. And what I'm praying for is I am making request that I may be able to come to you. Notice the way he says it. He says in verse 10, making request if by some means now at last. That implies, yeah, that states, I've been wanting to come to you for some time. Uh, I'm praying that now at last, after this long wait, uh, God may grant me permission uh, to come and see you. He says in verse 10, uh, making request by some means now at last 
I may find a way in the will of God. The word translated way in the Greek text means uh, a successful, prosperous way. He is saying, Lord, somehow, make it, make it possible so that I can have a successful trip to Rome. And by the way, did God answer that prayer? Would you care to guess how he answered that prayer? Remember what happened? Uh, Paul was at Corinth when he wrote this. Went to Ephesus. Uh, ended up in Jerusalem. Got himself arrested. Remember? And um, then had an all-expense-paid trip uh, gratis of uh, the government to go to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. Now, he said, Lord, if by some way in your will I can get there. God said, I got it all figured out. I'm going to give you a free trip there as a prisoner aboard a ship. Interesting. But God answered this prayer. But now he says more about uh, uh, wanting to come to them. And I find this most fascinating. There, there are all kinds of indications in this passage that he had a deep, deep desire to come to them. Uh, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you. I've got a deep desire to come to you. Well, why all this fuss about getting to Rome? What did you want to do when you got there, Paul? Well, here's what he says. Verse 11, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That's one of the most astonishing statements in the whole book of Romans. If you understand what he's saying. I want to come to you and I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, now he doesn't mean uh, I want to give you the gift of teaching and give you the gift of evangelism and give you the gift of exhortation. That isn't the idea. The idea is I want to come and minister to you. And by doing that, you will be blessed and benefited by my coming. So I want to come and impart some spiritual gift, some spiritual benefit through the exercise of my spiritual gift to you. That's the idea. Now let me tell you why that statement to me is one of the most astonishing in all of the book of Romans. Paul, why not just write him a letter? I mean, you're an apostle. And you're writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And you gotta go? Why don't you just write him a letter? I think we would say today, just make a tape. You know? Put it on video. I can not only see, I can hear. I mean, video is a marvelous modern miracle, right? No, Paul said, I got to go. To do this, I've got to go. Now, let me pause here and suggest something. There are some things that take place in person-to-person -person ministry that not even an inspired letter by the Spirit of God can do. It's incredible. 
I'm not sure I understand all this, but somebody shared this verse with me many years ago, and I've come to believe it. As a matter of fact, I have people tell me all the time, I'm going to start coming. I hear you on radio, but I'm going to start coming because, well, it's not the same. I spoke uh, this week in another church, and uh, a lady said that to me. I, I, I hear you, but I want to come. It's not the same until I hear you. I think this is one of the most forceful arguments I know for why you ought to go to church. Uh, there are things I can do standing in front of you, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, ministering to you. Something goes on that not even an inspired letter from God could accomplish. I mean, you got a Bible. I mean, it was sitting on your shelf. I mean, why'd you have to come hear me teach it? Right? It's just not the same. Matter of fact, uh, uh, I, I like to read what people say about the Bible. Those are called commentaries. And, and when I can get my hands on them, I like to listen to good, gifted Bible teachers teach me what the Bible says. And every chance I get, when I can go hear a man I respect as a Bible teacher, I don't want to just hear the tape, I want to sit down and watch him preach. I don't know what it is. I just know that there's something about being personally there that's different than reading what is written or listening to what is taped or even watching what is taped. Right? So Paul says... I'm writing you an inspired letter, but you know what I'm praying for? That I can come see you, because that way I could bless you and benefit you in a way I could never do, not even in an inspired letter, and by that I mean no less than the book of Romans, of all things. That's incredible to me. So Paul says, I'm praying for you, and he doesn't elaborate on that, but I'm praying for me. I'm praying that I can come see you. But now at this point in the passage, he does something really interesting. He says, here's what I'm going to do. He says, verse 11, so that you may be established. That is, if I can minister to you personally, you will be established. The Greek word means to be fixed, to be firm. We would say to be grounded. Paul, you wrote him a letter. You got to go personally do that? Oh yeah, I got to personally do that. My personal presence, my personal ministry will do that when writing the letter won't. Then, if that's not astounding enough, he says in verse 12, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Do you understand who's writing this? This is no novice. This is no amateur. This is an apostle. You understand? This man had a revelation directly from God of Jesus Christ and of spiritual truths. Matter of fact, he had several of them. There aren't many of us in that kind of category. He's an apostle. And he says, let me tell you why I got to come. Because I want to minister to you some spiritual gift and establish you. And by my coming, you're going to minister to me. So one of the reasons I'm praying that I'll come is so... Um, you can minister to me. you got to be kidding me. The Apostle Paul needed ministering to? By the church at Rome? Why would he need them? 
Well, so he says, I can be encouraged. Did you know men in the ministry get discouraged? Did you know apostles in the ministry get discouraged? And Paul says, if I can just come be with you, I know one of the things that will happen is you'll encourage me. I've experienced this scores of times. I've had the privilege of traveling all over the country for better than 20 years now. And I don't know how many times I've gone to a little humble church that nobody ever heard of and I preached and ministered to them and trust that I was benefited them some way. But the truth of the matter, when the week was over, some little old lady that never went to seminary and never went to Bible college and in some cases never got out of high school walked up and shared something with me, just blessed the socks off of me, and I came back charged up and ready to go. You know? Works both ways, folks. Works both ways. Which, by the way, hadn't thought of this till just now. That's a good argument for why you ought to go to church. So you can get blessed and so you can bless me, right? Now you need to come so I can get blessed. Because you can bless me by being here. Which, by the way, happens all the time in this place. I get blessed. People share with me things that encourage me. So Paul is saying, I want to come and I'm praying that God will let me come so that I can minister to you and you can minister to me. Got to tell you one story and we'll go on. Uh... Uh, some months ago, I was invited to speak to the singles group at the um, First Evangelical Free Church of Fullerton. Uh, you may have heard of their pastor, a fellow named Chuck Swindoll, yeah. Well, this singles group was meeting up in the mountains, and they invited me to speak to them, and I went up and spoke on a Saturday. And when I got back, the next week, I received, as a matter of fact, I received more notes from that group than any group I've ever spoken to. And they had little encouragement notes. And uh, as a matter of fact, that was printed on some of these pages they sent me. And they, they all wrote to encourage me. Did it ever occur to you that when you go to church, you're supposed to encourage the preacher? You know? Well, not just me. Anybody who's ministering to you, maybe your Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe the people who serve. Go pat them on the back. Go thank them. Go encourage them. You need to minister to those that minister to you. That's Paul's point. And I want to come to Rome. I'm going to write you a letter. I'm going to minister to you. And I want to come to Rome so you can minister to me. Now, as he stated in these verses, this has been a long-standing desire on my part. Now at last, after all this time, I, I trust this will come. But at this point in the passage, he says, so far, I've been hindered. Look at verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Now in this passage he is saying, I have had a deep, deep desire to come to you. Matter of fact, the very opening line of verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James. Is it the Old King James that said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren? Well, that's a statement used by the Apostle Paul several times. And many point out that he uses that when he's about to say something he considers very important. So he's underscoring this. I don't want you to be unaware that often, and in the Greek text, that is said emphatically, often I wanted to come to you. 
But, he says, I have been hindered. By the way, in Acts chapter 19, I believe it is, uh, maybe it's 20, he told the folks at Ephesus that he wanted to go to Rome. And one scholar says that took place about six months before this was written. So there are all kinds of indications that Paul just deeply desired to go to Rome. But as he says in verse 13, I was hindered. What hindered him? What stopped him? Why didn't he go? Well, he doesn't tell us. Here, in 1 Thessalonians, he says he was hindered to come back to them, and it was Satan that did it. I think that in this case, he was hindered because of the ministry. I don't know that we need to take the time to go into this in any depth, but if you're interested, I might uh, suggest that you look at Romans chapter 15. Um, and he says in verse 22, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. And in the context, he's talking about the current ministry that God has given him. So that he states in chapter 1, I was hindered from coming to you, and what hindered him was probably, from chapter 15, the ministry that God had given him uh, up until that time. As a matter of fact, um, <laughs> having been in church after 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 church, I've met a few pastors. And uh, this is pastor talk, but I'm going to let you in on what pastors talk about when their people aren't listening. I've had pastors on more than one occasion say to me, I got this invitation to go become the pastor of another church, but I just can't leave this one. I can't do it. There's no way I can leave. Uh, uh, to leave at this particular point would hurt this work. And so I can't leave. I'm hindered. I toyed with whether I should say this. Because as sure as I say this, I'll start a rumor. And, the, and, and, and what I want to do is not do that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I, I have gotten a few invitations, you know. I mean, it's not that I couldn't get another church. <laughs> you know, I, I have got, and some have been kind of interesting lately. I get them all the time. And, and, and so, in the last couple of years, I write them, I won't even read the letters. Won't even read them. Won't even, won't even, they say, would you pray about it? I say, no. Just won't even do it. Why not? I'm hindered. I'm stuck. Unless you fire me, you're stuck with me. You got it? Okay? I'm hindered. I'm hindered. If I left this work right now, I think it, it could be hurt, you know. It, 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 needs to be, it needs to be a little more solidified. I'm not going anywhere. I, I'm hindered. I want to be hindered till I retire. <laughs> okay, I'm not planning on going anywhere. But for the first time in my life, I understand this. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. I, look, I want to come. And frankly, there are some things I'd love to do. I can't. This, this year, I couldn't go on a vacation. I was hindered. I would have loved to. I just was hindered. Couldn't do it. Can't go. Don't want to go. I'm happy right here. That's what Paul is saying. I wanted to come, but I was hindered. Now, he says, but now look, and this is the point of this passage. I want you to know, I have a desire to come. I have a deep desire. I prayed to come. We're in a prayer. And, he adds, I'm ready to come. 
I've got a desire. I've been praying. I've been hindered. But I want you to know I'm ready. So he says in verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the otherwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm ready to go to Rome. Well, let me ask you a question. Why all the fuss about going to Rome? Didn't you have plenty of ministry in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi? Why all the fuss about going to Rome? I mean, you've labored this point, haven't you? And the answer is, and this is really the key to this passage, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles and Rome was the capital of the whole Gentile world. I think somebody could have legitimately said to the Apostle Paul, you mean to tell me you've been in the ministry all these years and at this point he'd been in the ministry quite a few years and you hadn't made it to the capital of, of, of the world yet? Now, Paul said, I want you to know, I've been planning on coming for a long time. I've been praying to come for a long time. I've been, I, I've been, I keep getting tied up in ministry and I hadn't made it there yet, but I'm planning on coming. And here's the reason. I am debtor. He says in verse 14, I'm debtor both to the Jew and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, because of my debt... So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you which are at Rome also. And here's the point. I am a debtor. God made me the apostle to the Gentiles. And he gave me a debt. And my debt extends from the Greeks to the barbarians, that is to the cultured of the day to the uncultured of the day. From the wise to the unwise, that is from the educated to the uneducated of the day. I am a debtor to everybody. So, because I am a debtor, I am ready. And the Greek word translated ready in verse 15 means I am willing and I am eager I am willing and ready and eager to go fulfill my obligation because I realize I have a debt realizing I have that debt I'm ready I'm ready I'm ready to come and preach the gospel at Rome like I've done it elsewhere in the ancient world now he goes on from here and he explains verse 16 for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written the just shall live by faith because those verses and especially verse 17 form the theme for the whole book of Romans I'm going to spend one whole session and deal just with those two verses. 
but to put them in context, and they are connected to the paragraph. I'm just going to say for now that what Paul is saying in this passage is, I'm ready and I'm not ashamed. And the reason he says in verses 16 and 17 that he's not ashamed is because he believes that the gospel is the power of God to salvation and in it the righteousness of God is revealed. More about that later. But for right now, what is critical is for us to understand that at the end of this prayer, a prayer that he may come to them is the revelation of what made him ready. Namely, realizing his debt, he was ready and willing, yea, eager to fulfill it. Now let me sum all this up, put it all together. Uh, this is in one sense of the term just the opening of the book of Romans we're just getting started it consists of a thanksgiving and a prayer so that Paul thanked God for the faith of the Roman believers that was known all over the world and he prayed to visit them so that he could minister to them and so they could minister to him and so he could preach to lost people matter of fact there's a sense in which he's praying that he could come to them for their sake, for his sake, and for the unsaved's sake. But I think the great lesson here for us is not only that we ought to thank God for those who come to faith in Christ, and we not only ought to pray for those who come to faith in Christ, that is, follow Paul's example. But the real lesson here for us is this. He gets down to the end of the passage and he says, because I am a debtor, I'm ready to pay my debt. Now, you do know we're debtors. You are a debtor. The Lord has commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We can never, never, never lose sight of that to lose sight of the fact that we're to be focused on people outside of ourselves is to run the risk of becoming selfish and self-centered. We can't afford to do that as individuals and we certainly can't afford to do that as a church. So you're going to hear me say over and over and over again, our responsibility is to reach other people for Jesus Christ. And that means people in your family. That means people that you work with. That means people that are your friends. I don't think I have to labor with this congregation that we are spiritually debtors to give the gospel to those that do not know Christ. Amen? Question. Are you ready to do it? What's it going to take to get you ready? Think if I took you through a training course, you'd be ready? You know what I'm going to tell you? I've taken people through training courses, and that can be helpful, but in and of itself, that doesn't do the trick. Think we could start a theological seminary and run you all through the seminary? Uh, my experience is uh, that wouldn't necessarily make you ready to be evangelist uh, or evangelistic. It would just make you want to be hired so you could be paid then. Right? Are you ready? May I submit to you that one of the things, perhaps there are others, but one of the things that will make you ready, it made Paul ready, 
especially if you're a responsible person, is to realize that you're a debtor. You got any debts? Do you owe for your house? Your car? How about Master Charge, Visa? What's the new one? Discovery? Discover. Sears? Montgomery Ward? Pennies? You owe any debts to those people? Are you ready to pay? You better be. <laughs> right? Now, that's the kind of thing Paul is saying. I am eager, I deeply desire, I am praying, I am planning. I want to come to Rome because I'm a debtor to the whole Gentile world. And you're part of the Gentile world, and it's my responsibility and my debt, and I am ready. I stand ready before God, and I'm not ashamed to pay this debt. I want to pay it. I'm ready to come. Better than 20 years ago, I heard a message in chapel, in seminary. The man was speaking on the subject of evangelism, and he was trying to motivate that huge seminary audience to become involved in the task of winning other people to Jesus Christ. And what he said made such an impact on me, I've never forgotten it. I don't think I'd ever heard anybody say it quite like he said it before. He was talking, of course, about the fact that God has given us this responsibility. And that because he has, we're debtors. I owe a debt. I owe that man the gospel. I owe it to him. I'm a debtor. Well, I knew I had the responsibility, but do you have to put it like that? I can't stand debt, you know? And he pressed this upon the congregation. And then he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, if you were a scientist and you discovered the cure for cancer, you would be a debtor to see to it that that got out. And if you hoarded that and didn't share it with anybody, that would be unethical. That would be criminal. Now think about that. We have been given the cure for sin. We've been given the cure for hell. And we're debtors. It's bound up in the nature, the ethical, moral obligation that we have because simply we have found it. And not to share it, not to tell people about it, is immoral. So let me just simply say, We're debtors. Are you ready to pay your debt? Oh, let me just add one other little P.S. Paul said, I'm a debtor and I'm ready. And what he did in part to get to it so he could fulfill and pay his debt was to pray for an opportunity to go to Rome and pay it. So let me ask you another question. Are you ready?
Are you praying for an opportunity for ministry? Because in this passage of Scripture, what Paul does is he says, I thank God for you and I pray for you. And he spends the bulk of the passage saying, and what I'm really praying for is an opportunity to come and minister to you and everybody else in the city of Rome. So you are a debtor. Are you ready? Are you praying for an opportunity to discharge your responsibility? That's a powerful word of prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. Instead of listening to me pray, I'm going to ask you to pray. Um, why don't you pray for an opportunity? Ask the Lord, maybe in the next week or two weeks or 30 days, to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody you know, maybe somebody you haven't met yet, so that you can help discharge the responsibility that we all have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we bow before you, the Spirit of God will remind us again that we're obligated, not just to you, but to lost people because you have given this message to us. Father, I pray that that spiritual reality will motivate us to discharge our responsibility and begin by praying. Lord, that's your work. I take my hands from it. Pray that you will do it. Father, I pray as the pastor of this flock that this congregation could be known for their faith, for service in their spirit in prayer, and for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this valley, in this place, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.